listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. All right, Bracken, I need your honest opinion here. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the mustache? I'm not a mustache guy. Can you be more direct? I don't see a need for anyone to have a mustache, but I understand their need for it. Just like I don't see the need for anyone to be vegan, but it doesn't change mm-hmm. the fact that some people enjoy the vegan lifestyle, and I'm not going to stand between them and that. Same thing with mustaches. You're comparing mustaches to veganism? I would say they're probably not a one-to-one correlation. They might even be on the other side of the spectrum, like opposite ends. But <laughs> Well, the thing about a mustache is that when you see somebody, they don't need to tell you about it because you can see it, right? That's like, true. You don't need – so they're different types, I would assume. But I'm experimenting lately, and the last two times I've hopped on with the pseudo mustache, it's the first thing you've said, like, yeah, still got the mustache, Kirk. Well, I see you. I can tell it bothers you. No, it doesn't bother me. But I see you several times a week. And when anything is different, it jumps out at me. Like when you're fresh out of the shower, it's like, oh, your hair is like just down. I never see it just like flopped yeah. forward. Or like one time you had a hat facing forward. I'm like, holy crap, you're wearing, you're wearing your hat forward today. I just have such <laughs> very like consistent visual mm. cues for you that anything outside the norm does jump out at me. I'm not offended by your mustache. It doesn't startle me. I think you rock a mustache well. I just personally have no use for mustaches. Yeah, I got a condiment just... stuck in it the other day. Yeah, what condiment? Didn't know it. Oh, God, what was it? I think it was just ketchup. Got a little ketchup in there. Just a little, and I didn't really realize it until mm. I was informed. I was like, I don't know. Maybe that's a check marks in the negative column. But when I shaved it into the mustache, Jess was like, you look so dumb, please. Like, I don't even, I'm embarrassed to, we were going to a thing. And I'm like, I'm going to try this. And she's like, you look so bad. I can't even look at you. I'm like, well, I don't care what you think. I'm testing your love for me. And that's where this stands. And then the next day she kept looking at me. She's like, I don't know why, but she's like, now I kind of want you to jump on me with that thing. And I was like, see, <laughs> you respect the mustache. She's like, now I kind of like it. And I'm like, that's right. I knew it'd grow on you. So I thought maybe I'd do the same for you is what I'm getting at. And I don't see you coming through the screen at me. So I guess misfire. misfire <laughs> if I had bracket. to sum it up, I would say that as a person, like at my core, I am not a fan of things that people do and apply greater meaning to. Like people who say, oh, like I grew a mustache. I'm more of a man now. Or I grew a mohawk. I'm tougher looking. Or I have tattoos. Don't mess with me. Mm -hmm. Like I love all of maybe, maybe not love, but I'm a supporter of all those things as they are. But I don't think there's an extra like heightened sense of manliness that gets attached to like having a strip of hair appear someplace on your body rather than someplace else. (laughs) <laughs> and so when people are like, that is the sure, sweetest sure. mustache, what a man. I'm like, well, he can't control it. Just like the guy with alopecia can't control not like, is he less of a man? Clearly not. But like we, as a society, we like to a- apply extra meaning to things. And I think the associated connotation is what I don't like. 
Like I grew up with mustache. My favorite baseball player was Robin Yount. He had he had like a almost handlebar mustache. Tom mm-hmm. Selleck was a, one of the greatest men good. I've ever seen. He had a mustache that could probably be seen from outer space. So I don't think I'm against the mustache. I'm against the connotation of the mustache. I once wore a bright pink tie to a function. Okay. And there was a guy there. Uh, it was like a concert. And he had the same bright – he was up on stage. He was one of the performers. And he had a bright pink tie on as well. Like it was almost weird. This mm-hmm. is back in the days when I used to dress up like that. I don't do that anymore. But anyways, and my buddy was with me. He was kind of a dick at the time. <laughs> and we're not even friends anymore. And he's saying, the problem is with your pink tie is it's your centerpiece. But him up there, it's just part of the whole facade, right? And he's like, that's why that guy was better dressed than you because your pink tie is the centerpiece. It's all you have. It's just one of his many things, this guy up on stage performing. And I feel like mustaches are, I feel like mustaches are the same thing. If the mustache is your centerpiece, it's probably being misused. If it's just part of who you are as a bigger picture, it's probably all right. That's what I think I'm gathering from what you're saying. Was yeah, that a, I guess that so. was a, a roundabout comparison, but we should probably stop dwelling on this. I'm sorry, guys. Five minutes in. Let's move on. We need to talk about you. I was out of commission last week, um, really sick for like two and a half days and then finally came out of it. So you took the reins on Training Tuesday. Um, in fact, I thought it was a fantastic listen. I think if it provoked any emotional response out of people, that means it was he was talking to you. If you haven't listened, go back and listen. I sat in my car for 10 minutes in my driveway listening to Bracken to finish the episode. So tip That's of That's high praise. It is. I don't even listen to our episodes anymore, and I listen to you specifically. So thanks for taking the reins while I was gone. I'm glad to be back. And uh, suddenly you dropped a bomb on me on Thursday, and you said, I think I'm going to run at 800 meters at my alma mater, mm-hmm. and we need to pick up from there. So I want to hear about your race. Well, backtrack. The episode almost didn't happen because we didn't have internet last week. Last week was a week of chaos for me. I think I told you that we didn't have internet or we had internet problems. I don't know if I got into why. Lisa and the kids have been jonesing for a Yeah, dog. you got a bunny? Yeah, and we got a rabbit instead because it would be less of a nuisance on our lifestyle and my allergies and mm-hmm. noise during podcasts. It is dead silent. But it turns out it has the exact same personality as a dog. We basically just have a puppy, but it's a rabbit. It doesn't make noise and it's potty trained. It's kind of awesome. It's growing on me. <laughs> However, mm-hmm. it chewed through our internet cord but. overnight. Uh, and and anyone who's been a listener from the beginning knows that we had issue with internet from the start. And what I ended up doing is running a Cat7 Ethernet cord from our modem to my office. But because we have this 1912 or 1917 home... There's no space anywhere, and I had to run it up the chimney into the attic from the basement and then back down to this floor through the bath. It, it, it took a 100-foot internet cord to get there, and it was like a four-hour process to get it to like actually snake through all these places, and the rabbit chewed through that. So not only did we have to, to source what the problem was, then I had to rerun the 100-foot cord in reverse, and it mm. was an absolute nightmare. In fact, I broke Sounds the cord th- in it and had to then rewire the cord, putting a new prong attachment on the top, which I'm not an electrician or a lineman. This is not my bread and butter. So I just spent hours on YouTube figuring out how to do that and you choosing the right tools. So it was this big hassle. And then I squeezed. That was the attitude I brought into that training Tuesday. 
I understand. First takeaway is I didn't know rabbits were fidget chewers. I figured they would only chew on things they wanted to eat. Um, so that surprises me. And then, too, that totally makes sense why you came in needing to tell the people what they needed to hear. Because you had just a little frustration in there. And you're like, I'm going to tell them. I'm telling them what I'm thinking. Yeah. And I got a message in I the like middle it. of it from an athlete. You know, a sob story. <clears throat> As I'm sweating and my knuckles are all – it's dry this time of year anyway. And I'm catching my knuckles over and over against the brick and uh, mortar of our – the internals of our fireplace. And it's just like, come on. I'm actively in the moment of trying to get over a hurdle. And you're telling me about why your non-existing hurdle is an issue. And I decided, let's rage. So anyways, that all leads up to well, the 800. I like Adjacent, but well, there we are. Well, hold on. And I got a message. If you haven't listened, um, and I got a message that literally said, like, because you did an episode once about monsters in the dark. I was sick again over New mm-hmm. Year's. I think you did like an episode. I had, I had gotten COVID over then. Anyways, you've done two on your own on these training Tuesdays, and I thought they were both home home runs. And somebody messaged me and said, "I hate to say it, but." Like two of my favorite episodes on Training Tuesdays are like episodes that you weren't you weren't there for, <laughs> and that's like my my heart. It's like you got to listen to you got to listen to this last one from Bracken, which I already had, but nonetheless, you do a good job with those. So, well, thank you. Anyways, if it makes you feel better. If it made you angry, he's talking to you. I received a few messages yeah. as well that weren't as positive. <laughs> You know, you you always get some positives, but there were some people that felt very uh, offended by my approach. And say la vie, Kirk. Say la vie. Mm, Thankfully, my ego is intact. Otherwise, that might just I might just hang up the microphone. But alas, here we are. We're we're partners for life, Bracken. So on to the eight hundred meters. So let's talk about that real quick because that's going to be that's going to be our uh, kickoff. Our idea for training Tuesday today. We're going to have takeaways from the race, and so that this we begin now teaching you things. So let's talk about it. Well, backtrack. When I first left college, I found OCR within nine months. And then from OCR, I found the trails, the the mountains, did some road stuff, and it kind of just made me fall in love with running. I, If you've listened to any of my episodes in the past, I loved competing and training. I didn't love the act of running. OCR led me to trails. Trails made me fall in love with running, and mountains made me fall in love with running, and that's why we're here today. However, throughout my first three years in OCR, I kept racing. I ran a bunch of miles and I went back to our alumni track meet each year at UW Whitewater and I ran the 800 indoors for the first three years I was out of OCR or out of college into OCR. And the alumni meet is where the new runners on the team try out for the team in top four to six per event, make the team. And then the alumni come back and race against the newbies on the team. And then there's a mixer and you chat up the program and drum it up. And it's how you kind of pass the torch generation to generation. And I was relatively successful. I carried my speed very well into OCR with very minimal maintenance. And then I went through this period where I was out in Colorado and then I came back and I've been injured and I haven't been healthy enough to be available for any of these races. I haven't done the alumni cross country. I hadn't done my turkey trots. I haven't done alumni track. And now this year I'm healthy. And so right away, it's like, I can't wait to do the turkey trot because I haven't been healthy enough to do it, but I used to love doing this stuff. And then I heard from another alumni that the race was that weekend. It was like three days later. I'm like, well, I'm doing it. This is the year of saying yes to things because I'm healthy enough. And I want to see what's left yep. in the legs. 
And so it was just like, say yes, go do it. Take your lumps if you have to, but love the fact that you can and then take some learnings from it. So that's why I did it. You know, back in college, we had an alumni race as well in track. And we also had an alumni cross-country race where one of our home invites, we invited our alumni. If they had any sort of reasonable credentials still, they could come Mm. and race unattached. And I remember a gentleman coming. He was 36 years old. 36 years old. He came and raced against a bunch of the collegians and finished in the mid-27s. And I couldn't believe that a 37-year-old, washed-up old man would come and race a collegiate race. And he did pretty well, and I earned a lot of respect for him. But I remember that age standing out on the paper so drastically to Mm -hmm. me, being like, what's this guy doing? 30. You're a year older than that. You're 37. Still 36. And then you show up to a track race. Oh, well, what are you going to be 37 to show up to a track race of 800 meters at that age? I guarantee you, I will bet two years, two years worth of salary. There were nobody your age out there running the 800 meters. Tell me I'm right. I don't want to give that up. I was There's the only no alumni way. in the 800. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone 36 years old. Nobody yeah. does this. The fact that you did that make your ball so big. That is scarier than going and running a 5K on the track like I've done. That's scarier than going and doing anything else. A sharp, stingy 800 meters at a 36 years old who hasn't been on the track doing that in that capacity takes cojones, and it makes me proud. Now you can continue. Thank you, Kirk. I I don't see it that way, obviously. The 800 is my sweet spot. Really, like the 1,000 or 1,200 is probably the sweet spot. For me, it was always like I can fake something short. I can't hang on long. This seemed less intimidating to me because the other options are the 1500 or the 3K. 3K was an absolute non-starter. That sounds horrible. But the 1500 even seemed like too much. So the 800, I thought I can just, I can fake this. And it was very interesting because I couldn't. Running it felt right. And it felt so foreign. I I finally... I understood from a speed perspective that the time, too much time had passed and I had lost what I had built for the most part prior. Now, I still ran, now it wasn't fast, mm-hmm. but I ran fast enough that like for an average runner, they'd be like, that's kind of fast for 36 years old. But for me, it's more of like, this is two to three seconds slower than I've ever run, like past the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And so it was very clear that whatever the statute of limitations on speed was like that had passed and it was apparent from the jump and two things one most of our listeners have no idea what racing two laps around the track or four laps around an indoor track for this matter is going to Mm -hmm. be like when you say speed i think 90 percent of our listeners go to the 5k maybe the mile right right so it's really hard to comprehend what you're talking about because the running population isn't training for halves so it is a different type of i don't know it's like the pointiest pointy end of a distance spear we'll call it like the endurance spear so that's like that's the one interesting thing and then the second thing is you got to tell us how fast you ran i ran 203.5 i truly still had my old mentality like if i can't break 201 like this is kind of pathetic i i can roll out of bed and run 201 and i can't anymore and that's what i found out i ran in my strides before the race i realized i'm in trouble 30 second pace feels really fast. So I decided I was just going to go right off the line into 30 second pace and try to hold it for 
two and a half laps. And if it, there's something available to kick, do that. And if not, just like try to hold on. And so that's, I ran like 30 point every lap. I was like 61 okay. pretty even high, 60 high. Basically I cut down like a 10th or two each lap. Oh, fantastic. Um, did, uh, did you find out who, who was closest in the, uh, poll you put up on your IG about, cause I hope it's me, but I could be wrong. There were a couple of people who guessed 203. Uh, one person guessed 2035 and another person guessed 2034 <sighs> and it would come down to the hundredths Wow, because it was 20346, I think was one. So depending on what the 2035 was, if it was five, nine or five, two would matter. But a couple mm. people were right. Marcus Wallace is one All of them. Right. Okay. So then let's, let's talk about it. So the, the, and then shout out. Well, the I guess one. just a little Morgan more about Schultz. the race. Like did it... Morgan Schultz was, who's a recent DECA fit okay. champion was 203 as well. Nice. <laughs> Smart. She's a former. Uh, how did it girl. feel like for me, for me going into like, let's say that would be my equivalent of maybe jumping into a mile right now. I think I think so, similar yeah. to you jumping into an eight, let's call it. And, um, it would be dreadful that that sting, right? Like I know I'd be uncomfortable within the first minute and then just have to live in it and, and hope the piano doesn't fall on my back too hard. Yeah. The, the final lap. Right. Um, how did it feel to go do something like that? Like two minutes inside out. Honestly, the worst part was the final 10 minutes before the race. When a bunch of college kids take off their warmups, spike up and are all walking around looking like powerful gazelles and i realized in that moment how young everyone looks compared to me and how snappy they look when they Children. move it was now i've i've not stopped competing as a runner since i was probably 12 years old so i have enough experience to not try to not put stock into appearances but this was probably as intimidated as i've been before a race in like a decade that was and the when worst was your time. last track race Last time on the track, uh, I think I ran the Wisco Mile like six or seven years ago. And prior to that would have been the 800 eight years ago. Mm -hmm. So, so that I was Because I just experienced that myself this summer jumping into these mm -hmm. Twilight 5Ks. First time on the track for me in 15 plus years. Um, it's intimidating, but I have athletes recently, like some of us like to to – be a little bit all over the map here. Well, we bag on OCR a little bit. Some decisions Spartan has made. And then I have athletes go, I'm just going to race the local race anyways. And they go race it. And they're like, it sucked me right back in. I forget <laughs> what it's like to be out there. And every time I go do it, I'm like, I got to do this again. Now we don't bag on track and field whatsoever. In fact, I lust for it. But when I showed up and did these twilight five K's, I was like, oh my God, I got to go back and I got to do that again. It brings you, it just sucks you right in. So my question is, did it suck you in or did you still feel like an outsider? Uh, both. I absolutely was an outsider. I was age-wise a decade and a half removed from the oldest kids there, <laughs> which is a weird spot to be. And it was very, this is the first time in my life I felt old. I think it's the first time I've actually felt old because for a long time post-college, if you continue competing, you feel like you're just like in your sixth year of college. It just holds you there for a long time. And yep. walking back into the facility where I spent five years or four years 
where I just poured sweat over and over and over onto this track and walked in and suddenly felt foreign and old. It was, it was a really interesting feeling. Mm. And then after the race, you know, we're ta- or everyone's bent over after gasping and talking to each other. And they're like, how old are you? Like 36. They're like, Jeez, you ran so fast for your age. <laughs> and another kid goes, seriously, if I, when, when I'm that old, I'd be happy to break 210. And it was just like both of those. It was so sweet of them to say, but I was very clearly treated as the geriatric member of the group. And that's never happened to me before. And it was really, really interesting. So what Mm. sucked me back in was the time. Times in track is just like, I don't, it's magical and maybe not a good way, but the moment you see a time instantly, your brain's like, all right, I think I could go faster than that if I do this. And I could, it's just so black and white. It's not like trails or mountains or OCR or terrain or course direction or weather or anything matters. It's just so in a vacuum. If I do this, I can guarantee that this will happen and my time could be, and there's only one thing to compare it to and that's time. So yeah, the time of it made me think, okay, maybe I'd like to break Mm -hmm. two before I'm 40 or at 40, that'd be a cool number to have, or, you know, whatever it is it it right away sucks you back into thinking about times. I love it. That's exactly what, what got me sucked back. And it's a test grade. It's a test grade on paper that says, mm-hmm. this is your score. This yeah. is your score. If you're happy with that score, fine. If you'd like to improve on it, which there's room, let's get to work. And it's so objective. It's so wonderful on the track. There's no, there's there's no subjectivity. A lot of times you can hide behind a bad race because in trails or in OCR because nobody else showed up or because like it's subjective. You don't know, you know, or you could have picked <laughs> up or lost time. It doesn't matter on the track. God, it's so pure. So, um, I'm lusting over the track still. Obviously I made a recent decision to pursue times mm-hmm. versus, uh, versus, OCR and hybrid. So I'm with you on this. So then let's talk about the takeaway for you, which is keeping, let's say keeping skills available. I don't know how you want to phrase it. I'll let you kick it off, but tell me about that. Well, it, it hit me over the head during the race. And then of course, afterwards of all the things that have atrophied that you don't want to have atrophy. And this happens in every race. Every race you or I do, we get on here and say, here's what I learned in this race. Here's what I learned. And people might even get tired of hearing, here's what I learned. Here's what I've forgotten to add into training. But every race is an opportunity to realize that. And they all get sorted into one of two columns, like things that I should be doing all the time so that I'm just great at this and things that just stay in touch with so that they never fully leave. And this weekend was one of those stay in touch with actual speed or it will leave you you will be slower like i could be in theory in the best marathon shape of my life i don't think i am but i could be with no speed whatsoever to my name but it doesn't take a lot so kind of what i want to talk about is what are these things that we keep picking up after races that you can just stay in touch with without really changing your training goals or your training load or your training intensity or duration or any of that. So that if you jump into something oddball or find yourself in a situation where you need it, it's at least there and used rather than totally foreign. An actual fast running was certainly one of those things this weekend for me. Yeah. Well, one, you didn't, um, you didn't really have much heads up on this. So it, you, in hindsight, you couldn't have done much because I don't think you were aware how soon this was coming up. Right. No, so not like, at all. 
It's easy to right. So that's that's one of the things. And then two, uh, maybe it's eye roll worthy that every time we race, where it's like, what what's our takeaways? What did we learn? Right. Mm-hmm. But I think if you run a race and you don't, you know, comb through it and come away with some tangibles, I think then you're probably doing yourself a disservice. And even after, you know, I've run hundreds, I'm not going to say thousands, but multi hundreds of races in over the years, you have two mm-hmm. and we're still learning, right? We're still like, or it brings something that got buried for years back to the surface, right? You're shuffling the deck, so to speak of lessons learned and priorities. And so, um, yeah, takeaways after a race, a two minute, stupid, two minute, three seconds, stupid race. What can you possibly take away from that? Right. It's just two minutes, mm-hmm. but like so much, so yeah. much. And so I think it's very valid that when one of us races to do a wrap on the takeaways, because I think like it's top of mind, somebody will hear something they need to hear. And I probably need to hear some of this as I start embarking on chasing some times too. So I'm personally curious. So, um, that's my stance on it. So the first thing that came up to me is how I'm not doing what I think I'm doing when I do speed sprinkles or mechanical threshold work, mechanical speed work. A, I've just started doing it the last two and a half weeks as part of this build towards 2024, where my intention is to touch upon all the things I need, but focus on just the big engine pieces, but just little bits like minimum effective dose of all the little things. And I thought I was doing that. I had done two. And then on race week, I I did a third speed sprinkle session, but it was not actually speedy. I was running speedy for 5k to 10k runner i was not running speedy for a runner of speed if that makes sense and i figured it out on my first stride before the race not my first stride the first stride i spiked up for so i put a pair of spikes on and i did just a hundred meter acceleration to feel what they felt like and to run a turn just to run one turn in spikes that i'd never worn before and see how they handle this and right away i thought i have not run this fast in like six years. And it's not hard. This wouldn't cost me anything. If I just did three of these once a week, like three 100 meter accelerations at like a faster than four minute mile pace, that would cost me nothing. But I've not used this stride one time in six years. Not even in the mile road race I used did I ever move that quick. And I should be because it right away started pulling at areas of my hamstrings that don't get used at that intensity. They get used in that, that like walking weighted lunges will use them like that, but not firing that same way. It showed me that my speed sprinkles need to be at least once a week at just one or two or three reps way faster than what I've been doing. Well, I'm like, what's the harm, right? Yeah. Cause it doesn't take much. I did three good strides like that before the race. And if I just did that once or twice a week, I would be so much more efficient at trying to run fast. You could feel it right there in the moment. This, this is just like, it was a sponge just soaking up water. This is useful. Um, why don't you describe what speed sprinkles are uh, for the listeners? Because uh, if you're on a running public training plan, you see these a good bit right now, especially. Yeah. But um, just so people know what you're talking about. It's basically like one third or one quarter or one fifth of an actual speed workout where we're just working on the skill of running fast, but we're not trying to hurt or have fatigue or compromise ourselves or be sore or fatigued the next day, just a dose of speed so that you're good at running fast. You can, you're just efficient at that, but you're not 
That's not the goal of the workout. Anything. There's no other goal of the workout other than that. It'll happen before, during, or after an easy run, just as a skill component. But I found myself, because I do half of them at least on my treadmill, not running them truly fast enough. I'm running a fast stride, but it's mm. still a it's a running stride rather than more of a sprinting stride, and there's a difference mechanically. And I haven't been hitting yeah. the sprint stride. Well, not only is there a difference mechanically, but I think as are more important than just the mechanical recognition is like what okay, so you get yourself into that stride pre race, right? You're picking up in your spikes, getting yourself to that stride. But then the next step after that is like, okay, well, now I need to be able to do this stride while staying relaxed mm-hmm. in a race so I can actually hold on and perform. And so if you're not in touch with it, you certainly are going to have a hard time staying relaxed during it. And thus, you know, the piano on your back situation is eventually going to happen. So um, the only way you're going to run your best is to stay relaxed through the majority of whatever you're pursuing. And how do you stay relaxed if you're not even familiar with the turnover, right? And I imagine yep. you ran into that a little bit too. What I ran into is that I had to slow down to stay relaxed, which is what I did. Yeah, I right. didn't as, – as much as it would seem like it would be this horrific experience to feel that pain, it wasn't. It wasn't that bad because I've done 1K and 2K rower time trials and I've done 20 on 10 off and 30, 30 on the assault bike hard. I've done enough very anaerobic things on the machines that my body wasn't unaccustomed to that feeling. It felt kind of natural. I felt unnatural performing my mechanics in that feeling. And the feeling came on mm-hmm. way too early with that type of running. So I, I was just, I was so rusty at trying to do that thing that I could feel like I could just watch my, my, my meter drop during the first lap coming through the first lap thinking mm-hmm. I shouldn't feel this way until the second lap. I know that much. <laughs> yeah. I come through the second lap thinking I shouldn't feel this way until the third lap. So the piano never hit. I just got sluggish. I, like I said, I cut you down a tenth or two monitor, each lap. I did. I wore a heart rate monitor and it, it didn't do it. It said my max was 146. Oh no, it didn't I was work or so what? disappointed. It's right here. I even charged it last night to see if like it was dying or anything. I wonder if it didn't connect. It was connected. It was it was so funky during my warm up. It had me at like one sixty seven to one seventy eight the whole time. I'm like this thing's being funky, but I'll tighten it as I get closer to the race. And it just didn't give me. But I wore it specifically so I could see what would I hit during an eight hundred, and it told me one forty six. Know what I wonder. So you know what I wonder about that actually? So you had an arm armband on, right? That was yeah. like the arm strap. And it was even a wrist Bicep base, not upper arm. Okay. For me, I find like sometimes if I like do a wad where I do, you know, pull-ups or push-ups in the middle of a run or a bike, like sometimes the arm straps will misread a little if there's a lot of flexion in the arm. Mm-hmm. Do you think you were so tense and just just grabbing that it wouldn't have read or is that an impossibility? It's not an impossibility for sure. Or it was just jostling too hard and fast and there's allowing too much light in it. couldn't get a consistent reading. Or when it when it spiked yeah. up really quick to start the race, it like scrambled and couldn't ever get back to a good reading. Then the race was done. I don't know what it was, but I was really looking forward to seeing my heart rate because I gave it. I gave it Dang. during the race. Yeah. And uh and I got one forty six by max. I was so disappointed in that. That's garbage data. Yeah. So what I 
Oh, go. Do you want to continue with what you were saying? I interrupted. No, 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 no. Continue. Okay. Well, I was just going to say there's sort of two ways to look at this in my eyes. That's how I feel about the speed part in particular. I think the speed part is almost treated differently than any other skill. Like, let's say you're training for a 5K, like the skill of, let's say, threshold work or the skill of sitting in VO2 max and doing spicy intervals or the skill of, like, those need to be treated differently because those are like foundational components of fitness, even for an 800 meters, sort mm-hmm. of. But the speed is different. The speed needs to be treated differently. It's not this, it's not like categorizing its own skill set. I feel like that fast turnover, high, high output stuff. You could either do it two ways, in my opinion. You can exactly what you talked about, speed sprinkles with more intensity. You could tack them on at the end of a recovery run. Maybe you could try to do that at the end of a quality session or to open a quality session, maybe just to see, mm-hmm. you know, how your body responds. Or without taking too much away from your other training, I think every like 14 to 21 days, you could go rip an 800 meter workout. Yeah. Like you could go rip. 12 by 200 meters with two minutes rest with really no taking away probably from your, let's say 5k pursuits or your ultra pursuits and still just keep more balanced. Like, okay. So the majority of your other quality stuff is threshold based and it's long interval style and it's everything that we talk about and slow miles on feet. But what if every other week you just let yourself go rip at or faster than 800 meter pace? Mm -hmm. I almost think that may help you out with other pursuits anyway. So it's like you could just microdose with speed sprinkles. So you're aware of the biomechanics or, and, or you could do that. Even every three weeks, I think might be enough if it's just a by the way pursuit. Yeah. What do you think? I agree with you on that. I do that. If you did a maximal effort every, you know, roughly two weeks or so, and it it could be short, you're not going to change anything in your Mm -hmm. training. Like if you ran a 600 meter all out every two weeks, what's that going to change in your training? Nothing. Four by 400 meters, four by 400 meters. Yeah. To start a workout, you could go hit four by 400 meters with three minutes rest in between, right? Go run at or faster than go 800 meter pace, take Mm -hmm. five minutes and then go hit a six mile threshold run or a tempo of some sort afterwards on fatigued legs. And you might be better for it in all categories. I'm just starting to think how I would work that if. You were trying to keep track races in your schedule. It'd be interesting. It'd be fun. Yeah. And even if I'm not keeping track races, do you know what I felt going down the backstretch on the third lap? I felt, I just, it just hit me. I felt, this is how I feel on fire road descents. That I might have more engine than this and my stride can't sustainably work any faster than this or something's going to fall apart. It felt like running a controlled downhill where I have to be running at like a 220 cadence right now. I have to be. And I don't have any semblance of efficiency right here. I just can't. It felt the exact Mm. same. Like I could push harder, I think, if I had a mechanism to use it. And I didn't. If I tried to push any harder, it would it would break. It would it would I would tie up or or I would start flailing. That's what it felt like. And then you think back, like, what is the staple for overspeed training and track? They get on like a 3% downhill or a 1.5% downhill and sprinters sprint on that. And that's their overspeed training. And what did I do when I went out to Colorado and I wanted to get better at mechanically descending fire roads? I'd finish my workouts with like three to four by 30 to 60 seconds down a fire road fast. And it didn't change my recovery much for the next day at all, but... 
who's getting that efficiency at, I can descend at a 220 cadence, running 330 per mile pace for 30 seconds. I can run 430 per mile pace a lot more comfortably because of that. And so even if I never step on the track again, this will manifest on race day because it always does. I can barrel down choppy technical stuff, but on that smooth descending or road descents, I'm uncomfortable there. The same way I was uncomfortable this weekend running down the backstretch, trying to seek more speed, but realizing I'm hitting a limiter here. Literally couldn't move your legs fast enough. And if they did happen to go any faster, you'd end up ass over tea kettle, right? Like you couldn't yeah, even or, control the speed you were putting out, which you see sometimes. Yeah. Or too costly. Like the only way to move mm -hmm. my legs any faster would be to shift into sprinting form. And then I have 60 meters and I'm dead. There was no in, but like there should be yeah. another gear waiting there. Engine wise, there was enough to sustain another gear. And mechanically and efficiency, there wasn't. It was, I was tapped out at this rev limit and any faster was my final sprint gear. There wasn't anything waiting in between. And there needs to be something waiting in mm -hmm. between there. And there used to be something waiting in between there. And there's not right now. And I could get it by working downhills just as much as I could get it by adding 200s or 400s. And probably the best case scenario is I do a mix of both. So will you change anything with your training moving yeah. forward? Is any of this going to be popping back in? in like, yeah. Are you going to jump into stuff like this? Are you, what are you going to do? Well, like for example, when I and first then, by the way, college, yeah. By the way, then I want to, if you're okay with this, I want to, I want to dive in one last time into this. And then what I would really like to do is finish with, um, all of our endurance people that listen, I would like to give them the version on how to do that for their 5k. Because a lot of times that is their speed. Yep. Could we do that? For sure. And just help them understand what this would look like for them in their 5K. Okay, now continue. Well, and I think this covers both sides of that is what did I do when I left college? I did what I knew in college, which was I was trying to do the strength side of the workouts we did in college, which was our off-season work. I was trying to do that as my main set. So I did a lot of four to six mile tempo or cutdowns, and then I went and ran four to six by 200 afterwards. That's what we did every time we tempoed as middle distance runners. We finished our tempo. We'd walk, jog over to the track and like 10 minutes later, run at least four by 200 with a lot of rest in between just to turn over and have to recruit everything while we're tired and like recenter ourselves. We were 800 meter runners, not cross country runners. So even though we just ran a tempo run, we had to get back to what we were intending to be good at by running fast right there. That was the last thing we wanted to do each day. We'd finish all of our easy runs, walk over to the track, sometimes go barefoot on the football field and just rip some 80 to 100 meter hard accelerations. That's, it was like centering ourselves. And I brought that to OCR for a while and then I stopped doing all that. But how hard is that to bring back? What does that add to my day? Five to 10 minutes, almost no recovery necessary after that compared to what a normal six mile tempo already would be. I think adding little speed sprinkle finishers there is super simple to do. And maybe on like a Monday where I'd normally just go out for one easy run, starting or finishing with just four to six by hundred really fast walk back. It doesn't change my week at all. It could be slightly downhill. It doesn't matter. Just add those little like true speed sprinkles rather than like the mechanical stuff I'm talking about where you run as fast as you can run without changing your stride into your your sprint form is really nice and useful. But that next stage is really nice and useful as well. It's always good to have the option to use it, so to speak. Yeah. And if you don't have access to a track, what is Bracken outlining is like, okay, 
find a 30 second stretch where you can just go rip 30 to 45 seconds for most of you out there. Go rip, take plenty of recovery minutes, even between if you'd like. So it's not terribly taxed. You don't need a track to do this. You can time convert anything. It could be like so 15 to 20 follow, seconds. Sure. Sure. But the equivalent of a 200 probably for most people is actually probably going to be closer to 45 seconds, but True. 30 to 45 in the gap. Um, so then answer me this in your humble opinion. Do you believe it's useful to even do, let's say I'm training for half marathons or I'm training for stuff that I'm never going to run that fast. Do you believe it's useful and a good use of time to do something like this, even if it's not even on your radar? Yes. What do you think? I don't think it would be useful okay. to that extent to do a full speed workout, to take away an entire quality I session and, dic and just dedicate it to that. But for the minimal five to like eight minutes of time, once or twice a week, adding something in, it's absolutely useful. For that one time where you hit a half marathon with a long, like, let's say a 50 foot descent on the road, that's not even a descent, just downhill in the middle of it. And you come out of it smooth and refreshed rather than a little bit beat up or the time you get caught in a sprint finish or you're, you're four seconds away from hitting your goal time 200 meters from the finish and you need to rip or even starting off a race really fast. Yeah, it's free energy at the start, but there's levels to it. If it doesn't cost you mechanically mm -hmm. at all to do that, you're just in a better place. And from a re muscle recruitment standpoint, recruiting all your muscle fibers is never a bad thing. So I don't see a real downside to it as long as you're not standing still like you're at the start line and then blasting into it because that's how middle-aged or older runners hurt themselves. But just building into it and making sure mm -hmm. that you get to that speed, there's almost no drawback to it. It's just something you have to remember to do. And I think most of us just forget to even sample these things back into it. So main takeaway is... I've always had the speed arrow in my quiver. That's always been a tool in my tool belt. That's who I am. I'm an 800-meter mm -hmm. runner, and I believe I can still be, you know, put me in spikes on the track in the moment. I can still be in touch with that. It's still in there. The old dog has his young dog fight still, so to speak. And then you get out there, and you realize, whoa, even this needs to be watered a little bit if I want to still be that athlete is basically what we're summarizing, correct? Skills that you believe and strengths of yours that you believed you had in the past aren't as readily available just inherently yep. if they're not sort of manicured, so to speak. That's what we're getting at, right? Is that some summating it about right? Absolutely. There's a statute of limitations on all things you acquire in life. Can you still do it? Yeah. Could I still run 2-0? Yeah. Is that good for a 36-year-old? Yeah. Is that a huge downgrade from what I've it is. what I've grown accustomed to doing? <clears throat> also, yes. And if it's starting to slide at 36, what's it going to look at like at 46 and 56? Unless I get back on top of it, staunch the flow now, and start rebuilding that skill. Okay. So our listeners here are never going to run an 800 meter. I bet you there's like two Probably out not. there that might run an 800 meter in the next year. Right. So if we talk speed, when I interact with my athletes – the athletes I coach, you interact with your athletes. It feels like when we talk about speed, it comes to the 5K. Like, I need to work on my speed. I'd like to get my 5K time trial down. Or, mm -hmm. you know, even though they have longer race endeavors and pursuits, it comes back. Like, that seems to be the adult serviceable version of speed. Would you agree with that in some capacity? Yep. A greater sense. Yeah. 
I do. So let's just let's give it let's give a few listeners some takeaways here. If this was you and you had longer race pursuits, marathon, trail races, mountains, flat, doesn't even matter. But you always wanted to be able to access some sort of 5k potential. What what would you what would be your first thoughts as to keep that arrow in your quiver even though you're training for longer endurance events? Well, I don't think that you or they maybe will want to hear this first part, but it, I don't think it's any different. I would do exactly what I outlined <clears throat> because I'm going to look at it like strength training. Okay. Explain. I'm not looking at this like threshold work or volume where everyone can use it. Everyone can use different forms of it. Some people have unique, some people need to work on the 30 minute side of threshold. Some need the 45 and some need the 60 minute form of threshold. No, this is strength training. If you are coaching an 800 meter runner, or an eight-hour racer, your core lifts are going to be the same. The only thing you're going to change is that the 800-meter runner is probably going to do more explosive work. You're going to do some power clean, some hang snatch. You're going to do some maybe uh, squat jumps. And the ultra runner might not. I think the speed is to be looked at the exact same way. Everyone needs to run some 200-mile pace or faster. Everyone needs to run some 100s at that. The difference is going to be that the 800-meter runner is going to have to do a sharper, fat, maybe some 50- to 60-meter burst starts or 40, 540s or something like that, where the ultra runner can just stop at mile race pace and say, that's clearly enough. And maybe they can even degrade down. I'm going to do... I'm going to do two mile pace on these things, but either way, I think everyone could start at the exact same point and benefit from it because it's a mechanical thing. It's a muscle recruitment thing, and it is more akin to lifting than it is to working on a running system. That's my initial proposal. Hmm. So do you think that's actually the best place to start? Keep in your, let's say, longer sessions that you're training for, maybe a lot of in and out of threshold, maybe float stuff if you've been listening to us, things like that. Just keep all that the same and then tack this extra stuff on and hopefully it comes together in the 5K. Or is that what I'm getting at is that that would be your best starting point, you think? As of right now, here in this moment, thinking about it, I would say yes for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. The first is that it's the only way to do it while getting the maximum benefit out of both sides. You're not changing anything you are doing. You're not replacing any workouts you are doing. So you can know exactly what you've been doing is what you will do. And this is just something added it on top. And since it's just added it on top, you know exactly what it does for you. You don't want to start replacing. Mm. The slower you get off of, let's call it 400 or 800 or mile pace, the slower you get away from sprinting, the more of it you have to do to get any benefit from it. So if in this theoretical thing you're talking about, do four by 200 at 800 meter race pace once a week, that's enough to drive some mechanical change in your body. Four by 200 at mile pace is going to drive less change. Four by 200 at 5k pace is going to do very, very, very little for you. So then your only options are to do more reps mm -hmm. or extend the reps longer. And now you run into this changes my training intensity. It might even cause me to have to have a recovery day afterwards. Whereas if you keep it very fast, but very minimal, you don't have to accommodate your week. And so I think it's the safest place to start. Yes. I'm back and forth on it. Okay. Pitch me I'm the back and side. forth on it because I agree with you. Well, I, you know, the other side, but like, I agree with you on as far as sprinkling it in, not taking away from your other pursuits. 
um, so to speak. But at the same time, if adding in speed sprinkles or 200 meter repeats to finish a workout can assist your other pursuits, why can't a dedicated workout completely once every two weeks or three weeks <laughs> assist in all pursuits as well? I remember talking to Danny Jones, um, and you know, she's a, would you call her a sub ultra runner? She's dabbled. Sub ultra trail runner. Length trail racing. Two to three basically. hours. Yeah. Yeah, but she run, runs races up to three hours, I think, even for Yeah, sub ultra trail racer, I would you know, call her. You're right. Yeah, she was breaking through. Um, you know, a lot of her intervals were, you know, she was doing two, three, four, five minute intervals once a week and then longer stuff another time per week. And obviously she had success extending that out to duration. Now, not everybody's Danny Jones, of course. Um, but I think what I would do is say like, how could, how could every 14 to 20 days, how could that hurt if I replace for me? It's not, see, for me, it's not a, is I think mechanically is half of the equation and then actually feeling the work catch up to you and then settling in. Like if I were to do 800 meter repeats at 5k pace or faster, that turns into quite a workout. Yeah. And then you get into it and you're four to 600 meters in and you start to feel that overwhelming feeling in your chest and your legs suddenly start to just build up lactate. And you're like, Oh, that feeling for me, it would almost be like mechanically, I think you're dead on, but I need to feel it too. And I don't know if a 200 meter would accomplish that. And so mm -hmm. I'm somewhere in the middle. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think maybe inducing yeah. the feeling, which will require the 5K pacing or just a little faster, for me might be what I need to really be in touch with a potentially running well in the 5K, so to speak. So I'm back and forth is what I'm getting at. Well, that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong about that. In fact, some of the best ultra runners in history have that. Uh, you talk, like one of the American legends is Matt Carpenter of the sub-ultra mountain scene. Mm -hmm even dabbling in some ultra stuff. He was famous for saying that every week he did something around the lines of 12 by 400 at 5K or faster. Every mm -hmm. week, no matter what else he was training for, that was his like grounding rod right there. That's what he always did. And so that I think really does work. It's doing exactly what you, what you talked about. The only downside to that is that visually on a training schedule, that workout doesn't tell people I'm ultra fit. I'm 10 K fit. I'm half marathon fit. They have to see this continuation of big grindy stuff. And for those runners, it's way more palatable to look at their plan and say, I'm still doing everything I believe to work. And I'm adding this thing in. It takes a special type of athlete to say, listen, I know I trust that I can every 12 to 15 days to 20 days do something totally out of left field and it doesn't change me negatively as an athlete because I know all the systems are still primed and this is only helping. I think to that type of athlete, that is absolutely a good way to go. I just think that a lot of people yeah, will meet the other side. The interesting thing about that is I raced two 5Ks on the track under the lights a month apart, four weeks apart. Before mm -hmm. the first one, I didn't touch. I kind of took some trail. I was racing trail stuff. I kind of took my threshold work. I did a few shorter sessions, what I would consider 5K pace, but not a ton. I kind of enough to touch it, but not enough to embrace it. And then between the two races, I went all in. I was doing 800, 400 meter ladders. I was running miles at or faster than goal 5K pace. Mm -hmm. They suck. They hurt a lot. 
to be honest. They were the least pleasant workouts of my entire year. One, because I wasn't accustomed to them, but then two, the recovery afterwards, my nervous system, even like I was shook from those for many days afterwards. It was unbelievable what touching that sort of VO2 max effort type when you surpass lactate threshold and sit in it. So you do make a good point though. Like if it would take away from subsequent training because you're just kind of thrashing yourself a little bit, um, those hit me harder than going out and doing a 60 minute tempo run because that's now become my wheelhouse. So it's just an interesting balance, but I think I'm back. I'm clearly waffling, but I think what I would do for that athlete, I would experiment. And I would say once every two to three weeks, you can throw in a 5k or race pace, 5k race pace or faster session, keep the recovery short. You can justify that as some sort of over speed slash endurance training at the same time and maybe call it good. I think that's what I would do. Two weeks might maybe take away from your other pursuits. Even once every three weeks, I think if I went and ripped once every three weeks at this stage, that would be enough for me to stay in touch with it. One dedicated workout every 21 days, I don't think is too much to ask. What do you think? Do you think that'd be enough for you? Yeah. And I think that you can split the difference too. You could do a speed sprinkle a week and every third session is a rip it session. We're going to train like a track guy today. Beautiful. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I also think that another way to do this is you take your standard. I I just can't get away from threshold. I need to run 10 by thousand. All right, run eight by thousand Mm -hmm. and replace the first two reps with 10 by 200 (laughs) at mile pace or six by 400 Mm -hmm. at mile pace. And now get into the rest of your work. I think that every other session or every third session that would accomplish it or run a time trial. Run anywhere from 400 to 2K every three weeks. That'll do it too. I think there's a lot of ways to do this thing we're talking about, but most of us just never have it on our radar to even think about. But it, I think no matter how you do it, other than the removing a workout and putting another one back in, it doesn't have to train your, change your training or your recovery. It just has to be an intentional thought that, oh, I should do some speed today. Yeah. It's just, we don't think about it enough. And you and I are as close to speed-based people as the distance world usually finds, having been a, an 800-meter, 1,500-meter runner in college. And even we get mm-hmm. way too far away from this at times. This isn't going to take you to the Olympics, yeah. but it gives you that one little thing that you're missing the moment you reach for it. So let's say the 800-meter, maybe the mile version is these 200-meter repeats that you throw in with a lot of rest. Let's just dumb it down. Sure. That would be keeping you in touch with that. I'm I'm not, I'm paraphrasing now. That would be keeping it in the arrow somewhat in your quiver, right? 200 meter repeats or 30 to 45 second repeats where you're hitting good high end speed, yeah. pushing hard. Okay. So let's dumb it down. Let's paraphrase the 5k. What would that be? To me, it would be 408. For me, I would extend it out to 400 and 800 meters. You can take mm-hmm. plenty of recovery to hit pacing or 60 minutes, I mean, 60 seconds to three minutes, which sounds crazy. That's a big gap. But for me, I find that 800 meters, I dread it because I have to sit in that same feeling I have for about half the 5k. And so I need to extend them out a little further with intensity, but I would call it 60 seconds to three minutes, making sure some of that stuff is in your plan. What do you Mm -hmm. think? I mean, for the sake of variety, I would say I'm capping them all the same. I'm keeping them under 60 seconds oh. so that I can just run every you. stride perfectly. I'm never thrashing. I'm never reaching. I can fight for speed, 
but I can't change the way I'm moving. Since this is, I'm looking at like akin to strength work, I can fight for a rep, but I can't flail for a rep. And I know for sure that myself and many of the people I work with, if we have to run a 400, those last 50 meters are getting a little iffy. And if we extend it out to 800, well, the second lap is only going to be useful from a systemic side. It's not going to be useful mechanically. And since I'm handling my systems on other days, yeah. I need to make sure my mechanics are bulletproof. So for the sake of variety, I'm erring on the side of everything is, let's say, 15 to 45 seconds, and I will just live there year-round, trusting the process all right. of all the other engine work to pair it together. I like it. And, and you know, I'm referencing more even like trying to like somehow like peak at a 5k while training for ultras, right? If you're extending those interval durations, you now you're talking like, n- right. So maybe I'm, I'm my own personal bias is getting in the way, but, um, okay. I feel good about that. I will say that the I best I ever I felt in my life, I've had two moments of this where I felt like I could run any speed at any time with no risk was in college and then in Colorado, both times. Because in Colorado, I lived right across the street from a track. Once or twice a week, I would just go over to the track and run some really hard accelerations. Now I'd spike up for some of them. Or I'd go barefoot on the infield and just do fly 40s. Give myself 10 strides to get up to sprint pace and then just hold it for 40 meters. I was doing that once or twice a week and I just felt fast. And my turnover was much better. And it gave me almost no engine benefit. But mechanically, I just felt good. And I've gotten farther and farther away from that. And we've been talking recently, my cadence has been really atrophied. And I don't think that that is coincidence. Well, I think this is good for me to hear right now because admittedly, I've done zero of it. Everything I do, I'm putting on my shoes, I'm going up the door, I'm, you know, going right into some sort of weaving in and out of threshold or intervals or progressions or fart licks without really every, I'm not even touching 5k pace right now in anything. And so... If I'm thinking about that, I think I would I would notably be behind where I was in August right now. Uh, and I don't know if that's okay because I may want to jump into something. So truth be told, I think I might allow this to sway some decisions moving forward just a little bit. Yeah, well, Because again, outside of pulling a hamstring by not being warmed up and ready, what can this possibly negatively impact? And I think the answer is nothing. It only helps. Yeah. What have we missed? Do we need to comb through this again, or do we do we get the point across today? I think we've been extremely redundant here. Do you think you're going to jump into anything more? Is there any opportunity for you to get on the track? There's opportunity. You can always jump into these local. You know, we have so many D3 schools here in Wisconsin. They all have indoor tracks, but I don't yeah. feel a pressing need to. No, I feel a pressing need to shore up the holes of what this showed to me. I don't need I don't need to or want to. I don't have anything tied to becoming a fast track runner again. However, I would like to make all these adjustments, these micro tweaks to my training, and then come springtime, run one more thing and just feel what it's done for me. Mm. Time trial. Could be or a time trial. Whatever. Could be like running so the Wisco mile. Uh it doesn't really matter to me. I just want to feel the benefit and then also see, you know, what does it do for my for my five mile racing, my 10 mile racing. It's, it's, I shouldn't, I shouldn't ever feel uncomfortable running fast. And I keep finding these paces that I'm not comfortable at. Mm -hmm. I've been finding more and more of that the last couple of years. 
as I don't touch the quicker stuff. So good reminder. And you will, I mean, if you're going to, the first arrow in your quiver that you're going to lose as you age in particular, um, is going to be that one. Yep. You're going to have that old man, that old woman durability. You can grind it out, so to speak. But when it comes to like turning it over and generating power, that one disappears. It yeah. really does. So good reminder. All right. Well, I don't know what else I have. Uh, this is, it was fun to see you out there. I thought it was very adorable that you went back to the very spot. You met Lisa Kolb and introduced oh, yeah. the uh, IG world to that you know, fateful day and um, wish I could have seen the race. It doesn't seem like your wife was there. So I no, she to didn't come in with it. the kids. Mm, shoot. Is there any video footage of this out there? I really I would know. like to see it. I thought about handing my phone to someone. But did, you wear, mm, did you wear split shirts? I wore split shorts and a, and a shirt, not even a singlet. <laughs> a shirt. See, there is one more step removed to not feeling like you belong, and that's wearing virus compression shorts. At a high end track, shirtless. could do that. Yeah, shirtless. I don't know indoors. I went to done that. All right. So to wrap, Kirk, I have this vision of next year mm -hmm. coming back, so confident in my speed that I put on either split shorts or half tights and a running public singlet, and I step to the line and mm. I race. This time I went out and I ran the pace I felt I the stride I felt I could keep. Next time I have this dream of a year from now going out there and racing okay i like it because when you race you don't care about splits it's, it's pure tactics mm. i had one tactic this time and it was do not cross the line i want some did matches next anybody? time yeah i took second last boy yeah you did <laughs> yeah i'm the uh with <laughs> like one proud. with like 170 to go i went around one person and couldn't couldn't catch that's anyone else that's right you did that's right. Closer. Took fourth closer. out of five, I believe. And a boy. All right. Well, I think we've done our job here today. Should have a good interview for Friday coming up. Mm -hmm. Have a good one, ladies and gents. Mm -hmm.